Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. The Big Tech Podcast, in proud association with Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, and thank you to Magnet Networks for sponsoring this podcast. This week we're going to talk about voice recognition and Amazon Alexa and Google and Microsoft and all companies in between, and we're joined by a real expert in the field, Brett Kinsella is the chief executive and founder of VoiceBot AI, VoiceBot AI, the leading source of research data analysis related to the voice and AI industries. And he was named Commentator of the Year by the Alexa Conference in 2019. Congratulations, Brett. Thank you very much. Brett, uh, we're going to talk, just want to chat a few through a few things um, in relation to, to voice recognition. One that caught my eye on your site, Levi's have a new jacket, a new denim smart jacket with Google's Project Jacquard technology. How does that work? <laughs> well, that's, uh, we actually just published that uh, today. Um, you know, essentially what we're talking about smart clothing or any type of smart wearable device is this idea that you can interface with technology, the digital technology and services that we've all become accustomed to uh, by simply speaking. So this idea that it'd be hands-free, eyes-free, that one you can sort of tap on the wrist and you can get information. There's there's other smart clothing, which you can actually give a voice command or, or tap a button and you can change the temperature. Um, it'll warm you up or cool you down. So there's a lot of smart devices out there. And I think that when we look at something like Google Assistant or Amazon Alexa, Apple Siri being integrated into something, what we're doing is we're thinking about two things. One is, is there a way to interface with the technology without having to touch and look, right? So it's something very natural. We can just speak. It's instantaneous. And the second thing is, by doing that, by introducing voice into the interface, we, can we do much, much more than we would otherwise? Because if you think about it on your smartphone or on your watch, you can only do what the developer allows you to do. They put buttons there touch, swipe, different types of transactions that you, or different types of movements that you can do, unless the developer has conceived of it, you cannot do it. Mm. When you get to voice, it, it enables you to break down those boundaries. You can do things much, much more, uh, or you can do much, m- many, many more things uh, that uh, maybe the developers never conceived of. I mean, I'm old enough to remember things like um, Motorola had a a partnership with a ski jacket firm about 15 years ago um, before it even had a, a a camera in its phones. And the idea was that you would have, you put Bluetooth speakers in the hood of the, of the ski jacket. Oh, yeah. I, 
I actually still have that sure. ski jacket. Um, but but with this one here, particularly, I think they call it the trucker jacket. And this is kind of a half step in that direction, I think, because um, it uses something called fiber electronics, which contain a small electric tag, or rather there is a tag alongside these, these special fibers. And these are conductive fibers built into the sl sleeve and the tag connects by Bluetooth to your Android uh, smartphone. And there are four different gestures, apparently, brushing in, brushing out, double tapping, and covering the area. And you, supposedly you can do this to do things like take a photo or control your music. But you spoke of something a minute ago where you can actually use your voice to warm yourself up or cool yourself down. Well, that's, a diff that's not this, this one. But I, I was just thinking more broadly about smart apparel and these jackets that we've done, mm. uh, or these jackets that we've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, that have like integrated these other types of capabilities that mm. you wouldn't necessarily expect. I mean, I can imagine a situation if I'm out and I want to impress somebody and I don't want to be foostering around with a jacket because it kind of looks awkward. And I see somebody I like across a bar and I say something like, you know, jacket, turn red or jacket, turn red slowly or something like that, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I give it a voice control. But I'm obviously... When you say this to somebody, the first thing you're think they're going to think is, well, you know, when would I want that? When would I ever? What well, what use would I have for that? Well, as, and as you said, in the bar, obviously. So <laughs> there's there's always there's always a use case. Now, I would say that um, we see a lot of really interesting uh, products coming out in the voice space where we focus uh, more often is. We see a lot of people adding voice as a novelty mm. aspect to some other things. And then we see other aspects where voice is really central to the capability. So if mm. you think about things that people are doing in the car, it's a central activity. If you think about the smart speaker, um, even uh, to, uh, to a great extent today around smart TVs. Uh, but nobody oh, yeah. really questions those. Yeah, right? I, they, I'm, we uh, all know that voice is good in those situations. I, I'm, I'm buying a new TV at the moment and... With TVs aren't like phones because you you tend to only sort of buy one every eight or nine years, really. I mean, you right. know, it's not it's certainly not every two or three years, and that whole voice recognition adoption has completely come in since I bought a, a TV. And I'm now looking at all but the most budget TVs have you know either Alexa built in or or s some other voice recognition uh, system uh, built in, and it's fantastic. It really is. So a lot of people underestimate like how great it is to have voice control to do something like media search, mm. right? So we have the one thing where you could turn the device on or off. Okay, that's that's a convenience. We like that. But you know, for the most part, you walk into a room, you turn it on, you turn it off. It's not that big of a deal. But when you start thinking about like trying to go through search for something to watch, uh, everybody has struggled through with smart TVs the way that you have to type things in, um, even harder than like oh, on a phone, God, right? I you hate know, that. With a remote control, it's you mean? Just, oh, it's just horrible, it's right? Terrible. I mean, it's like one letter at a time. Yep. There's no way to make it faster. Mm -hmm. And like I've had a voice remote for a couple of years from, from my television provider, and I never look at anything. All I do is speak into the device, and mm -hmm. it goes right to what I want. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it'll it'll... It'll surface things you didn't know were on. You could ask for certain types of sports or movies or genres. or you, you can even ask for an actor, and it'll show you all of the available movies you could watch right then with that actor. Mm. And and, and, it, and it'll tell you what service it's on. Is it 
Is it on a, a free television service? Is it on your Netflix account? Is it, uh, is it a paid um, option that you could download? And sometimes it'll have more than one option. You're like, oh, I could do the paid, but oh, I'm already paying for Netflix and I can watch it for free. Mm-hmm. So the media in particular, you know, if we think about music and television, uh, another type of visual media, has been a great application for voice because it's really, it's really complex search. Mm-hmm. So if you think about voice in particular, it's excellent at complex input and simple output. So in this case, I have this complex search. I might have to say the name of a movie and movies are tough because a lot of times there's more, there's several movies with the same name or several versions of the movie and those types of things. So you can actually say what you want or the type of movie you want. And then the, the output is simple. It just gives you a, a selection or it gives you two or three selections and you just pick it. And so voice is really exceptional for that, for that use case. It's good for other use cases too, but this is an excellent one. Well, one of those other use cases is doorbells. You know, Amazon's yes. Ring doorbell, for example. And now it looks like that we're going to get a, a real heightened sense of functionality there with uh, doorbell concierge, aren't we? Yes, that is one of the more important developments uh, in the last couple of years in all of AI. Tell us and, what tell us what it is. Okay, so Ring Doorbell Concierge, is, so first of all, you have to understand what a video doorbell is, right? Mm-hmm. So video doorbells are very popular now where somebody will come up and there'll be a video feed and then you can watch on your phone or sometimes on your television who's at the door. Mm-hmm. And this is really convenient sometimes, particularly if you're not at home, you can see who's at the door and you can even in many cases communicate with them. So, for example, if someone's dropping off a package, uh, they ring the doorbell, you pull up your phone, you might be across town and say, oh, just you could just leave the package there. Or, no, I know I, I need to be there to sign it. I'll come pick it up, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. So that's so the video doorbell has been useful. However, you're not always available. And maybe sometimes you don't want to engage with the person who's at the door. Mm-hmm. So now the ring doorbell concierge, which will roll out in the first half of next year, will actually have a conversation with the person who comes to the door on your behalf. So this is Alexa. Mm-hmm. People are familiar with Amazon's Alexa assistant. And it will ask questions. You know, what can I help you with? If it's a delivery, it might give the delivery person instructions about where to leave the package because it mm-hmm. knows that. If it's somebody else, it very often will uh, ask them if they can take a message, if they can leave information for them. And it's really a fairly simple transaction, but it's very complex. Simple for humans, complex for for. Uh, for computers, because you have to navigate this back and forth conversation. You have to know the type of information that the homeowner needs in order to get back in touch with the person. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they just say, hey, uh, Adrian, is, Adrian stopped by. Okay, Adrian who, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Adrian, could you leave your number so that we can get back to you? And then a text message will automatically go to the homeowner. What? And so it has to be smart enough to fill in all those gaps. What if the homeowner says, did Adrian sound angry? <laughs> uh, it won't do that yet, but it will soon. Uh, I would, I, you know, Amazon hasn't announced anything along those lines. This is being done today. You think about uh, sentiment analysis. Well, this is and yeah, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon just de- just demonstrated this for users, right? So there's frustration detection. It hasn't rolled out yet, mm-hmm. but Alexa will know will notice when you are frustrated when you're speaking with the assistant. Mm. And it will modify its tone. It'll apologize for not understanding you. Mm. And so I expect to see that in all of Amazon's products very soon. So 
it could soften its tone, for example, if it detects, um, uh, yes. say, frustration or anger, and if the 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 researched response to that uh, to try and ameliorate the situation is a softened tone, then it will soften its tone. That's exactly right. In fact, I saw a demonstration of this out in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and the the demonstrator Dave Limp. He asked for something. He got the wrong answer, mm. and then he ob- he acted like he was really frustrated. And Alexa came back and said, "I'm very sorry. I think I misunderstood you." Mm. you know, and then it asked, asked him to restate his question, or if if there's another way that, that it could be of assistance. And and we've seen this before other places. So, for example, um, Nuance Communications, which is one of the really big. Um, voice assistant companies you've never heard of because it's always embedded inside of cars or call centers, Mm -hmm. those types of things. And they demonstrated at CES earlier this year, a solution that would uh, use facial recognition and tone of voice, some combination of the two, uh, determine if you were happy or sad or angry or frustrated. And depending on that, it would adjust how verbose the assistant was. Mm. So if you were more cheerful, it might be might have longer, more flowery phrasing. It might actually say something that might be a little fun or uh, humorous. If it detected that you might be angry or frustrated, it would be very terse and just answer questions and fulfill your tasks immediately. Mm. And do you think that um, we'll get celebrity voices with that? Well, we're already starting to see celebrity voices. Um, So speech synthesis is one of the aspects of the technology revolution around voice today. I think what most people, really useful for for your listeners to think about this, say, there's speech recognition. So did it understand what was said and could it translate that into text? Mm. And then there's natural language understanding, which is like based on that text, whatever was said, do I understand what it said? And can I find an answer to that? Right. Mm -hmm. And then on the far end of that, they have this idea of speech generation, which is to respond to the user. Can I, or can the system generate uh, some sort of audible spoken tone that sounds like a human? And so we hear that with the assistants on a regular basis, and we've already heard that as well with several celebrities. So that's one of the things that's going on right now is where these systems, they'll actually ask you to say a lot of phrases. I've done this before myself. Mm -hmm. And what it will do is it'll create a reasonable facsimile of your voice. And so anyone could type anything in Mm -hmm. to, and then they they press uh, enter, and then it it speaks it back as if you are saying it. And so that's how this whole thing works. It goes from speech to text, and then the system figures out based on the text what's going on. And then when it wants to respond, it, it, it responds in text, but then it translates that to speech. And so we've seen John Legend came out, uh, or John Legend voice was released by Google. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's going to be released by Amazon coming up. And we're going to see several of these, uh, several of these going forward. Um, I think they will be uh, relatively popular, but mostly a novelty, kind of like ringtones were when uh, cell phones first came out. Mm. I'd like a Stephen Hawking voice. I'd like like his uh, his AI voice. <laughs> well, you can cool. you can get that. You could actually I can get, get that, that already. I think, yeah, yeah, because yeah, that that was a synthetic voice. So uh, so that exists. In I, fact, yeah. an interesting story about that is. He would not change that voice. There, mm. there was far better speech synthesis 
that developed in the sort of couple decades after he started using that. But that he became so identified with that voice, he wouldn't change. Oh, it was very distinctive. And when you heard it, you automatically thought you, you genuinely sort of thought I'm actually listening to a genius. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it did, it did resonate. Um, one thing that has been controversial in the last year or so is all of the big tech companies that are testing or researching uh, voice recognition, they've all been hauled up for the practice of allowing some um, uh, some humans to listen to um, some of the uh, commands or recordings for the purposes of trying to make the, uh, the systems more accurate. And it was kind of painted in the media really as a, aha, now see, they really were listening to you. Um, and and we've had a lot of back and forth uh, on that. But my, I, my question would be, if most of them have said now that they're ceasing that activity or they're going to, they, they'll only do it now with very, very overt permissions, uh, ex, you know, uh, f offered first. Um, won't that make it more difficult, though, for these systems to be accurate? Yes, it will. So... First of all, I think people should understand this is an e-common practice. It's called supervised learning. So mm. If you're using artificial intelligence, the supervised learning is when there are errors, humans review the errors, they annotate them, and then they feed the information back into the system. And the system uses the identification of the error and the correction as a way to avoid that problem in the future. So what it's going to do is ultimately it makes it harder for people who haven't actually built up all of this corpus of data of all these errors and already fixed them. It makes it harder for them because they still need to do the supervised learning. The more you've done, the less, it, less important it is. But let me tell you a couple of places where it's really critical. One is accents. So what we find is a lot of the times these systems are built to recognize a very standard accent or a, the most common accent. And then it, they, they tend not to do as well with accents which are, are not as common. And, and that frustrates people. And, and th that can have both you know, ethnic and socioeconomic um, implications to it. They, and so that's one of the big things that they do in order to make the voice assistance functional for everyone. Um, another thing is a lot of new terms come into the vernacular from time to time. Uh, you know, we see this all the time working in tech. Uh, things then they go mainstream, and but there's no dictionary for that in the assistant because they they they're always backward looking. So the question is then how do they understand new terminology and what that means and those types of things. So what we've seen, and I've done a lot of research on this. I've got a lot of consumer surveys out there. Is that the number one uh, concern that consumers have? is or the number one complaint they have is when the assistants don't understand them properly mm. and the way they become understood properly is through these these review processes and unfortunately humans are the only way to do that right now and this is this is the way it's been done for years in call centers uh but i think people maybe some people didn't think it was being done in this space uh because they weren't really familiar with how the technology works. Well, it's that, and also it's just too sexy a story, the idea that like Facebook in particular might somehow, through you know, in a very marginal, be yes. listening to you, you know, quote-unquote secretly. It's too hot a story. Well, it is a hot story, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, we have a media angle or aspect of the work that we do. We publish a lot. 
But I really felt this was more of a media story than a consumer story, at least today. Mm. Uh, now, what happened was, and I think this is why a lot of these these types of situations are great, is when when the media blows it up as a big story and it's a very juicy story, and they had a lot, I'm sure they got a lot of page views out of it, but very good headlines. The big tech company said, oh, wait a second, I'm just going to take care of this. I'm going to take additional steps to shore up my consumer trust to what we're doing. I'm going to look at our processes again. And so that's really the way you want the system to work. You know, ideally, they would have all these things in place ahead of time. But almost no matter what, if you, no matter what you had in place ahead of time, if something came up, everyone would want you to do more. So they've always taken these steps. I will tell you the biggest problem that they had, and it it's it's really was such an obvious issue for them is they were having third party contractors do the review mm-hmm. and there's a, there's sometimes there's a good reason for that because particularly for smaller companies these are big companies but there's there are third party contractors who are actually specialists in this right the, the linguistic analysis and feeding and annotating the data and things like that however these big companies have the resources to bring that in house and what happens is when they when they uh, delegate the responsibility for this annotation to a third party, they've broken the, the the chain of responsibility and ownership over that data. And what we see in all sorts of data, whether it's just your cell phone tracking or utterance data that you record through through smart speakers and voice assistants, is that there's a small percentage of the time there is personally identifying data. But a small percent of the time, it's actually a lot of data points because we use these devices so frequently. Mm. And that meant this personally identifying data, maybe embarrassing data, is getting heard by these by this company that nobody knows. I have a relationship with Amazon. I have a relationship with Apple. I have a relationship maybe with Facebook or Google. And I, I, I put some level of trust in them about how they store my data. But I don't have any idea whether I should trust who they hand it off to. And I had no idea they are handing it off to somebody else. And so that is really the issue. And so what you see is when, like Apple says, they're bringing it in-house or they're shutting down the program or they're telling people, you know, Amazon's telling people they can opt out. That is that is the sort of the first step to sort of reestablish trust and control over the product. Yeah, we, we saw it here in, in Ireland. Uh, Apple has a huge facility down in Cork in the south of the country and they, the, the, they got hit in exactly the same way as Amazon and Facebook and Google did and, and essentially the company that they were using um, as contractors essentially ended up laying those people off. Now, I think Apple was suggesting that they were actually going to take a lot of those people on uh, themselves subsequent subsequent because they still need to do that work. Um, just uh, uh, for listeners who, uh, just as a reminder, you're listening to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. I have Brett Kinsella, uh, the CEA, CEO and founder of VoiceBot.ai. And thank you to Magnet Networks for sponsoring this show. Um, Brett, one of the things that occurs to me with voice recognition, because I use a uh, transcription service called otter.ai um, to transcribe interviews, and it's generally quite good. <clears throat> and this is a thing that journalists in particular have been looking for for many years. <clears throat> but it does uh, strike me that we're getting closer, in theory anyway, and actually in practice, to the the holy grail, the Star Trek universal translator. Yeah, I think we are getting very close to that, actually. And so we, we're seeing that. We'll see more of this um, coming up in about a week. Google's going to announce their next round of Pixel 
buds uh, and the updated pixel. And there's going to be some more real-time translation capabilities in there. Um, I was at Microsoft. I, 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 should, I should say I was at Microsoft's event last week in New York when they announced all those new Surface devices, and I had a chance to try those uh, Surface earbuds. Yeah. Uh, very expensive, uh, very big and chunky, but the the audio quality is pretty good. <laughs> but one of the one of the I suppose if there is a wow factor to them, it's this promise that they can translate or that they can transcribe in sixty five different languages as you're talking. Yeah, the real-time captioning mm. uh, when you're speaking. I, I I haven't had a chance to try that yet, so I'll be interested to see how that works. Yeah, I don't think they did. They dem they they allow you to test. Oh, that they they allowed me to test it, and I and I tested that uh, captioning uh, feature, and it worked. You know, uh-huh. uh, to the same degree of accuracy, roughly like eighty, ninety percent plus as many of the other services I've tried. Um, now, not especially comfortable. The audio quality was good, but they come with those little rubber disposable ear uh, infill things that some in-ear wireless uh, buds have. I don't really like that. I prefer the hard form factor of the AirPods. But, you know, um, Microsoft knows its market. They're more expensive, and it's, it's obviously going for more of a, a productivity customer there. But, but it is, it's an exciting idea that you can caption or transcribe or maybe eventually translate in, into all these different languages in, in real time. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is when you see like captioning on TV, even for live events, so mm. for recorded events, I think it's they have plenty of time, but for live events, you have the automated, but then sometimes you'll see edits in real time. And those edits are because there's humans who are overlaying onto that. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually, there's a couple of folks in the States who are working on this, who are doing the the combination of automated plus real time. Um, and then there's, there's a company actually out of, uh, out of Israel called Verbit. that's been very successful in this, in the academic space. So in a lot of university settings uh, where they have deaf students, uh, they're supposed to provide some way for the, the deaf student to uh, follow on along with the class in real time. Mm-hmm. And if there's not a uh, someone who can do sign language, uh, you know, during that period of time, you know, they have to have this solution. And so what they're doing is they, they have this sort of real time transcription, and then they could also and, and they create these domain models around the, around the academic discipline to make it more accurate for these terminology for these terms that you know physics terms or scientific terms which might not normally be understood by. Uh, the assistance in the transcription systems. And then sometimes they'll actually overlay a human who in real time will update it as well. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking at ConverCon, uh, which is next Thursday, I think it's October 17th, I think, in the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin. You're you're one of the speakers there. Um, you're also going to be speaking with, uh, I, I, there are other people, friends of this show, Patricia Scanlon, for example, Dr. Patricia Scanlon of Soapbox Lab. We've had her on the show a few times to talk around um, these topics. Um, what are you going to be talking about? Well, largely what I'm going to focus on is the, the rise of voice assistants and what that means beyond the smart speaker. Because I think there's this idea that the smart speaker is the voice assistant and, I, and people are starting to understand that maybe it's more than that. And so we're going to talk about this idea of voice as a platform and being the next major platform shift. We have the web, mobile, and voice and how different voice is from those previous platforms. So that's one of the things. Then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the barriers and challenges they have to grow going forward. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you been to Ireland before? I have a few times. Um, Kinsella is a good uh, Irish name. Yeah, yeah. The, the the family is from Wexford, uh, and from Gory in particular, and that would have been eighteen eighty eight that my mm-hmm. great great grandfather came over. So I've actually never been down there. I've been to Dublin a couple times mm. uh, and work. My cousins have been down there. My uncle have uh, been down there. But uh, one of these days, I, I hope to make a trip down there and, and, and meet up with some of the cousins. Well, Gorey's not really that far from Dublin. And in fact, many people would say that Gorey's basically a suburb of Dublin now. And I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from uh, uh, people in Gorey uh, for that. <laughs> um, but listen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Brett. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast with us today. And the very best of luck um, at ConverCon next week. Adrian, it was my pleasure talking to you. I, I hope a lot of people are able to make it out to ConverCon. And, uh, you know, if they get a chance to, if, if they don't get a chance to come, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about there, we'll have at voicebot.ai online. So they'll be able to read all about it. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Brett. That's all from me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And thank you one more time to Magnet Networks for sponsoring this podcast. We will talk to you at the same time next week. Bye-bye. The Big Tech Podcast, in proud association with Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland.